May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. Streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome back into the Lions 24/7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We're working our way into mid-February here as Penn State putting in the work with winter conditioning now. Uh, just about a month out from spring practices getting underway in Happy Valley. Got spring break in between that. Everybody gets a little bit of a reprieve. Uh, as you may have heard, if you followed in our, our last episode, we had Brian Doan to break things down. Penn State's class is getting big in that 2025 cycle. Uh, Brian shared his thoughts on some of those recent commitments. Our 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Analyst, Brian Doan, uh, helped me get through an episode coming off of some emergency surgery I had last week. Uh, back here in the driver's seat on Monday to open a new week, feeling a lot better in terms of energy and the recovery process on my end. Thanks for the uh, good wishes from our listeners and our audience out there and uh, my colleagues as well. Uh, but back on track, we're going to get into it with Tyler Calvaruso because Penn State has picked up yet another commitment. We're going to learn about him. It's an offensive lineman out of the state of New Jersey. That group in 2025 now up to 11 players. Tyler Calvaruso will join this show a little bit later to give you a breakdown of the new edition and what lies ahead for this class as they continue to monitor a bunch of other prospects in the 2025 cycle. But we begin this episode with a familiar name for Penn State fans. He was actually on our podcast shortly before he enrolled as a Penn State Nittany Lion a while back now. He's in year six on campus, and Devon Elise joins us once again on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Devon, thank you so much for the time here, and uh, good to see you back on campus. I know a lot of fans were excited about your announcement last month, and you're back to work with this group, and I, I look forward to learning more about what this year lines up to be during this conversation with you. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. It's truly a pleasure, man. You know, I always love working with you. Well, it, it, like I said, it's it's been a long time since you were the, you know, the the young recruit coming out of McDonough. And I know you're well aware of that. And I, I'm sure you've changed yeah. in a lot of ways. I mean, the guy sitting in the seat uh, at that Lash facilities right now talking to me here, February 2024. What 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 just how would he view that? You know, that that McDonough fresh out of a McDonough graduate getting to campus, you know, staying overnight you know, away from the family, for getting all that out of the way early. What would you kind of say to that young man right now? Um, you know, buckle up, get ready. You know, there's a lot that's in store for you. Um, a lot you got to prep for, um, a lot you got to be prepared for. Uh, there'll be things you're ready for, things you're not ready for, but you're going to have to take it all the same. So, uh, you know, buckle up. <laughs> 
I know you've you've learned a ton, but I, I want to start with you know the uh, recent decision that you made, something that you had to work through on your own. Because when we spoke with you, I think about forty eight hours before kickoff in Atlanta during some media access, you were discussing whether or not you were going to stick around for your six, whether it was going to be your last game in a Penn State uniform. I saw you in the locker room after the game, and I'll just be honest with you: you had kind of a thousand yard stare on your face. I wanted to respect your privacy, you know, your, your moment there. I thought it might be it for you. Didn't really think I needed to be shoving a microphone in your face. I went and did it to some of your teammates instead. What was going through your mind in the aftermath uh, in that in that locker room? I'm just curious now that we have uh, you know five six weeks separating us. What exactly was running through your head? Um, you know, a lot was running through my mind. Um, you know, by that point, I kind of decided that I was already going to come back. Um, and, and, and genuinely, I was just thinking of ways like, how how do I not feel like this again? Um, you know, there were there were definitely times during the season where, you know, we fall short, um, you know, O State, Michigan, and then now Ole Miss. Um, I had I had sat there and I kind of reflected back on the season and tried to put the put the pieces together, you know, the commonalities between those 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 pitfalls that we've had. Um and just coming back. I knew that those couldn't be the same issues that we've had this year, you know, um, and and they can't be. If we want to go where we want to go, uh, we just we need to as a as an older group. You know, I kind of knew some of the guys that were coming back as an older group. What we needed to do to bring the team to that 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 next stage in our development, you know, so that way we can we can go into next season and potentially never feel like that again. When you you know put kind of uh, went through the autopsy, I guess of the 2023 season, it sounds like you were even going through that in the moment after that Ole Miss matchup. But when you got back to campus in January, James Franklin told us in, in the post game press conference that there needed to be some open and honest conversations about how the program wanted to act and, and kind of prepare accordingly going into 2024. As much as you're willing to share here in, in this kind of a format. What were those conversations like? And, and you bring up some some commonality, some common issues, I guess. That, that, that Are you willing to address anything that you feel like maybe in the last month or so you guys have, have started to get the ball rolling towards avoiding some of those common mistakes that you feel like maybe popped up? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I believe that we need to start fast at all three phases. I mean, I know that seems like a cookie cutter answer, but to be quite frank with you, we didn't start fast on – at all three phases, every single game we played, you know, there were asked, although we had an incredibly good defense, you know, there were times where the defense wasn't firing at all cylinders um, and the offense had to step up or the offense wasn't firing at all cylinders and the defense had to step up. Um, and the same thing with the special teams, you know, there was, there were times when, you know, we could have did a little bit better when it came to certain things on special teams. And I just feel like if we want to go to where we, where we want to go, where we know we can get to, uh, we need to fire on all cylinders every single time we touch the field. Um, I think it's just a consistency aspect as a team. Um, and so that basically just starts from the the, the top down, from the old, oldest guys down. Uh, there's a standard that we set for ourselves this season, especially as a defense. Um, we set a standard for ourselves, and if we didn't achieve them, I mean, we looked at ourselves, uh, we didn't view ourselves as like who we were supposed to be. You know what I mean? There are things that I feel like we accepted 
um, in a win that we would never accept in a loss. And I feel like moving forward, we need to, we can't do that. We need to look at the things that we did in a win, like all the mistakes we had in a win. And we would address them the same way if we lost the game. You know what I mean? And, and move forward from that. You know, all the best teams, you know, they, they 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 learn just as much in a win as they do in a loss. And I feel like we didn't do that every single time, you know? How difficult was it to learn from the, the last time you guys got to get on the field? Because I was talking to Denise, Dennis Sutton after the matchup, and it was a bit of an identity crisis for, for the defense because you're in the thick of this game and Ole Miss is starting to pile up points in that second half. And you look across the field, you played a ton of snaps, I know that, but you had teammates of yours who were on plans that they, they were, they were going to get out of the game a little bit earlier than normal. You had other teammates who weren't available because of some decisions that were made in the postseason. Uh, and your defensive coordinator, Manny Diaz, was down in Durham, North Carolina, trying to get his new program ready. So how mm -hmm. tough was it to, to balance that coming out of the game of, of, of we didn't perform how I'd like to, but also the realities of this wasn't just a normal game 13 for this defense? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, for me, it comes down to this, right? We, we know Coach Manny was leaving. We know these players that didn't play, they're not going to play next year. So in, in that case, wh what are we going to say next season? You know what I mean? Now, of course, we have a lot of guys who had the ability um, who just weren't there yet, you know? And then with our, with our defense and, you know, all, all the moving components, at the end of the day, at the at the level that we play, that shouldn't necessarily be a make or break for our team. You know, we have a lot of talent across the board from defense to offense. So when it comes to that growth, I feel like in, in, in those times, that's when we need to see a little bit more progression and development from everybody across the board. You know, we can't just be the same team that we were because we're not the same team, you know. Um, you know, with 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 Chop out, with um, Johnny gone, with Olu getting limited snaps, Adisa getting limited snaps. Um, there was a lot of opportunity for a lot of guys, um, and I and I think they did well. But as far as everybody being on the same page and, and firing at all cylinders, I I just don't think we did that. You know. Yeah. Well, what what can you do now as a year six guy? You're clearly a, a main part of the fabric of, and DNA of the leadership in the locker room right now. What can you do in February to make sure you're firing on all cylinders next November, next December, whatever awaits then? Yeah. Uh, keep the consistency. You know, um, like I said, we've established a standard for ourselves and now with all these young guys coming in and guys having to step up, we have to be consistent in our attention to detail as well as be consistent in in our, our, our level of work ethic. You know what I mean? Um, if we operate at a higher at a higher level with higher standards uh, for a longer period of time, then our when it comes down to it during the season, none of that would be an issue. Our problems that we had last season won't be won't be issues anymore. You know what I mean? We have our offense working harder harder than ever with our new offensive coordinator, our defense getting locked in with Coach Tom Allen. Um and our and our special teams are just they're 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 taking shots under our, our new special teams coordinator. So I really feel like we're making moves towards the right direction.
I just picked up on something you said there. You said that you feel like the offense is working harder than ever. Is that something you can already kind of identify in, in some some ways here? I know there's a long way to go in, in the calendar and there's a lot of steps to take, but how are you picking up on that right now? Um, just their their dedication on the – I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with our, our old OC, but our new, our new OC um, – he's just brought new life into the building. You know what I mean? New life into our offense. And I think that's really what we needed. You know, we needed like a breath of fresh air. Uh, just, and our offense is doing a great job getting adjusted. You know, uh, when a new OC comes in or a new DC, what have you, there's there's a an adjustment period. Um, and it takes a bit more time for guys to be bought in. Um, but I don't think there's... I don't think there's been a huge adjustment period. I think everybody's bought in and locked in and they believe in what he's saying from what I've seen and they believe in what he's saying. Um, so I think this, 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 this offense has a chance to be really special. Sounds like there's something resonating on the offensive side in the building right now. What, what are you feeling from Tom Allen? We, we all have a lot of respect for what we saw Manny Diaz accomplish in his two years on campus. I know you, we hold him in very high regard, but he's moved on to his next opportunity. And Tom Allen takes a different kind of opportunity after being a head coach himself for so long. So what's the early feedback on, on Allen as a defensive coordinator? He sounded like someone who was really excited to get back to the basics and be able to spend a lot of his time focused on defense. Yeah, you know, um, I think he's done an incredible job. You know, part of being a, a, a great team under a new DC or coordinator, what have you, is getting guys to be getting guys bought in. You know, uh, Coach Manny set a standard. He set new ideals. He set um, a, a new level of understanding that we have as a defense. Um he, he, he took us to the next level. And so to have him leave and then have a new DC step in, the biggest thing you're going to need to do is get everybody bought into this new DC and his ideals and how he and how he coaches, you know. And I think Coach Allen is doing a very good job uh, getting us caught up to how he coaches and how he sees the defense oper operating, you know. Um and I mean, at Indiana, you've seen this track record. I mean, he's he's done very well. Um, and this is no disrespect to any of the Indiana players, but it's just another caliber of players that he has here to work with. And I feel like that's going to be a big differentiator um, in him, like running and calling the defense we have. New guy in that role, but a familiar name for you and, and for a lot of us at defensive line coach, Deion Barnes. And before he was the D-line coach, he was an assistant in that room. So he's been around for a big part of your career. And I'm curious, you were one of the many veterans in that room just about a year ago, making the case to keep him on board as a full-time position coach. Now that you've got a yeah. season under your belt with him and seeing him kind of maybe grow in his own ways, what would your assessment be of, of the way you've seen Deion Barnes grow since he first got back into this facility to where he is now, year two as the defensive line coach in the Nittany Lions? I mean, to be a young defense defensive line coach, I mean, what what he's done in a year is incredible. You know, with the help of Coach Manny, as well as others in the building with um, – getting their expertise and their views on how a room should be run. I think he's done an incredible job, especially being so young. Uh, and you see the results with our defensive line. I believe we had 40, what, 40 plus sacks this season and uh, 
90 something tackles for loss, so, so, some ridiculous. Um, and, and I think he's done a, a, an incredible job of getting us to where we need to be uh, as a as a as a defensive line. Um, and he continues to do, to do an incredible job. I mean, me personally, he's helped me a lot with my technique and getting me more consistent in the way I play. And so I, I appreciate it. And I feel like he's doing a good job. Great job. Devon, we've spoken a lot about the program, the team. Let's let's talk about you and your development because I think you made a pretty considerable jump in your fifth year here at the college level. Um, you're a former top uh, top twenty four seven talent. There's never been any doubt about the blue chip area of your game. But to see you step up, take over a starting job, and really run with it, I'm going to note here you played a career high thirty six snaps, or at least a season high thirty six snaps against Ole Miss. You had a, a PFF high on the season uh, with a ninety grade in that matchup, and overall you're great on the season from pro football focus went up by about 20 points so whatever metric you look at it i think a lot of people would say you took a step forward how would you describe what your football career kind of what kind of a pivot point maybe it was for you in 2023 and how you're looking to build off of it uh i believe it was it, it, it's been my mindset you know um and i believe i said this in the um old miss media session i my my consistency has improved considerably um you know throughout my career uh, when you watch the games, I've had very sporadic plays, sporadic moments. You know, I have a, a good play here and there. But this season, I really took that step forward in my consistency. You know, my my strike, my hands, everything has just been a lot more consistent from first down to, to third down, fourth down, what have you. Um, and I think just my mindset and how I approach the game has changed dramatically, um, you know, how I see the game playing out, how I see plays coming together. And of course, with the help of Coach Manny, um, my understanding of the game has increased considerably. So I just believe like my mindset, the way I see the game and how I understand it has just taken that much of a leap. And that's been the difference for me. You know, in the past, I've played what I've just played using my athleticism and just certain keys from offensive alignment, but now I'm seeing the the all the the entire offense, you know, tight end sets where he where he sets up like, okay, I know if he's behind the tackle, insert, you know, he's he he's coming. So I know my steps and everything else that goes that goes along with that. And I think that's helped me considerably um improve my game. I mean, it's easy to detect you're, you're, you've you found something here and you really have figured out the game just hearing you, you discuss it. So was there a, a genuine temptation to say, well, what can I do at the next level? Is it, has it time to take this forward? Is six years too long on a college campus? All those things that may have come into play on the other side of the argument. And then at the end of the day, what tipped the scales for you to still be here and stay college for year six? Um, genuinely, I'm, I'm, I believe in our defense. I believe in our offense. I believe in our special teams. I believe in this team. And so I'm interested to see and contribute to, to this team moving forward, especially with this new um, playoff system that we're going to have in college football. Um, that it, that intrigued me a lot. And then on top of that, just how much my game has improved um uh, especially in the last six, seven weeks, how much my game has improved. Okay, now how can I take that and go into next season and improve my situation more if I take that same dedication and work ethic and apply that again for the next six months, where would I be then?
you know what I mean? Six, six to nine months, however long it is, um, where would I be then? You know, um, and that was and that was my biggest thing. I felt like with Dion coming back and then the type of players that we have, Dion would take me. Uh, Dion, as well as Coach Franklin and everybody, would take me to that next level. That where I can go into the next level and be successful as as successful as I want. You know, um, mm-hmm. and of course that thought did cross my mind. Like, you know, what if I left? What would, where would I be? But at the end of the day, I want to put myself in the best position possible. So that was my, that was my biggest thing. The, the group of, of, of older guys here, we'll call you the team vets, but guys who, who took advantage of the opportunity to, to, to capitalize on that COVID eligibility, uh, you, Hakeem Beeman, Smith Vilbert, Sal Wormley, Hakeem and you obviously have a very a dynamic relationship. You've been playing together for so long. You've been competing together for so long. He was in that starting lineup next to Zane Durant for like most of the time for the first half of the season. And then that was your starting job for most of the time the rest of the way. How have you balanced that, uh, that, that dynamic where you know, one of these guys is going to you know, be the starter, one's not going to be, and then the fact that both of you bought in for this sixth year and, and what you might be looking to accomplish with this defensive tackle group? I mean, it just makes us that much better. You know, you have so much talent in the room. Uh, Zane Duran, Hakeem Beeman, Kazai Izzard, um, you know, young guys, Caleb Bardis, it, uh, the list goes on. Um, that just makes you play that much harder. And, you know, seeing Keem and the way he's developed, you know, he's a tremendous player. And, you know, that just made me go that much harder. And then the same thing with Zane Duran, Kazai Izzard that just made us go that much harder because it's we're still we're still competing, but we also want the best for each other. You know what I mean? Um, and at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're all going to eat. We just got to make sure that we're playing at the highest level possible, not only for ourselves, but for each other. You know, so that bond, um, you know, hasn't weakened, weakened us in any sense. You know, it's only strengthened, you know, what we do on the field from the first play to the last play. So. And if I'm not mistaken, this defensive tackle room doesn't lose a scholarship guy. That adds more reinforcements. Alonzo Ford's coming off of an injury. You know, he, he wasn't around for year one out of after the old Dominion transfer. And you do lose a couple of really productive edge rushers in Chop Robinson and Deza Isaac. But even that group, I look, the depth is in place. How would you describe, I guess, the fortification that's already taken place within this defensive line group and the foundation that's already been established? Because there's some position rooms that we're looking at right now where like, that's going to be hard to figure out what it looks like in September. Your group's like, we can name 15 guys who's going to actually get on the field consistently. Yeah, I mean, that just that's just a testament to the Penn State coaches, you know. Um, in our D-line room, that's just a testament to Coach Dion and Coach Torrance and Coach Gabe and everybody who had a hand in our development as a group. And, you know, I, I think you should look at, the the coaches at those positions you know that people have questions about those coaches have been around for a long time you know maybe there's questions at corner or safety or what have you i'm not saying that there are but those coaches have done an incredible job thus far so i wouldn't question it now you know what i mean um they've they've taken a lot of players and made them great so as far as just having questions or, you know, any doubts when it comes to the players coming up now, I would just trust in the coaches. At least that's what I'm doing. You know, um, they've been incredible coaches. I've been here for forever. So I, I, I've i seen my fair share of, you know, the coaches that have come in and out, in and out. 
but I believe in the coaches we have now, you know, without without question. So I had two more questions to get to, and and one of which is going to be, yeah, you've been around for a while, uh, but and and I know that growing up, you know, your family didn't get to stay in one spot for too long at times, right? Because of the military background with your father, you, you kind of opened up about that with us in 2022 when he was honored during Military Appreciation Day. You got to run the American flag out. Can you just bring our listeners up to speed on, on what that movement looks like for you in terms of your family being a you know, one unit in one house and how rare that could be? And maybe what you found here six years in one town as a college football player, no matter where you know life and your career takes you from here on forward, this is always going to be some roots established here in Happy Valley. Yeah, yeah of course, there's always going to be roots. Um, but I think the biggest thing as far as just me and my family moving around so much is I've been able to. I've gained the ability to adapt to whatever situation um, and, you know, being here for six years to take with multiple DCs, multiple coaches, what have you, I, that ability to adapt has saved me a lot, you know, um, just your ideals and how you see things uh, changes tremendously when, when change comes. Um, and I think it wasn't hard for me to flip that switch and that's just a testament to, um, you know, my father moving us around and teaching us like, you know, things in life happen. Uh, you know, my mother changing the way she operates on a day to day basis. You know, when my dad is deployed, um, you know, I think he was deployed in Afghanistan for like two years when I was younger. So she had to change her whole process, how she went about her day to day. Um, and then the same thing with my sisters, they've had to adapt and change all the time. So I've just seen change and experience change so much that being in this position, being here for six years. Yeah, I've been in one place for six years, but there's been a lot that's happened in those six years that honestly, quite frankly, would have broke a lot of people, I feel like. But my background has saved me a lot of that. Um, uh, a, a lot of the learning curve that others might have went through. So, and, and then I just want to bring it back here to the football conversation in that building right now, wondering what's brewing. I know you're an established leader. Nothing's going to change there. On the offensive side of the ball, two guys I want to just ask about before we say goodbye. One, Drew Aller, starting quarterback last year. We were all asking you all summer, all offseason, what's he like as a leader? What's he like now that he's been through the fire? He's obviously dealt with some adversity. You never know when that's going to strike. As a former five-star quarterback, he dealt with it. And then the other guy I want to get your take on is Julian Fleming. What has he brought to the building? Because we've heard some really good feedback regarding what he's brought to that receiver room, maybe the way he's influencing some younger players early on. You know, He's fought some battles. He's got some scars from Big Ten action in his past as well. So if you could give us the lowdown on those two guys, maybe how they're influencing the locker room right now. Um. I mean, you could tell with Drew, you know, Drew came in as a young guy with a with a lot of pressures on his shoulder. Um, and I think he showed it that well. And then moving into this season, especially, I think he's taken to that role, you know, as, as well as anybody could. You know, this is what his third year. Yep. Yeah, right. His third year. Yep. Yeah, this is. His third, yeah, this is his third year and he's going to be. He's going to be great between him, Bo, you know, the rest of our quarterback room. He's done a great job of taking taking the reins and just being able to run with it. You know, not many not many people can do that. I think he's doing a tremendous job, you know, um, and he's still young. You know, there's still some room to grow. Like, 
how good would you be at 19 years old leading, you know, a, a, a Big Ten team? Um, so I think I, I think he's doing a tremendous job, especially for where he's at. You know, he's he, he he's doing amazing. Um, and then Julian Fleming, you know, he's seen he's seen the best of the best. You know, there's the the wide receivers coming out of O State have historically always been very good. Um, so I I believe that that vision that he has, knowing what it takes to get there, um, seeing seeing them compete, seeing that seeing how they operate on a day to day basis, I feel like he's bringing some of that here. You know. Um, much like with the new OC, he's bringing a, a breath of fresh air to that receiver room. Um, and then he's bringing his experience as well as other things that are really potentially take our wide receiver room to that, to that next level. So I, I'm really, I'm really excited about both those guys, you know, they, they, they're great guys. Devon, I know I took us in a lot of directions here. I appreciate you, you know, being up for ball here to, during our conversation. And, uh, you know, going back to your time as a recruit, one of the more insightful members of the Nittany Lions football family. So selfishly, I'm excited to get another year of conversations with you on campus. We'll see you around soon, okay? Yes, sir. Appreciate you, Mr. Donahue. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Good stuff, as always, from Devon. Uh, one of those uh, McDonough products that have been really, really beneficial to this Penn State football program, not just as a player and a defender. Guys like Curtis Jacobs, P.J. Mustafer in the past, of course, but guys that have really become, as I said, the fabric DNA pieces of what this football team wants to be as a culture. We're going to move over to the recruiting conversation now with Tyler Calvaruso. Um, and, and as we said, Tyler, uh, Devon, always a tough act to follow if you're trying to do it. So good luck to you. Uh, but we do have conversation on the recruiting trail. When don't we these days? Brian Doan helped us break down the latest on Friday when I was still nursing my way back from emergency yeah. surgery. Um, so happy to have you back on board to, to give us the latest update here, sir. I'm happy to be back here with you, man. I'm glad uh, you're in the clear and starting to feel a little bit better. Yes, definitely on the mend. And uh, Penn State, the, the momentum continues to roll for them in the 2021 or 2025 class, I should say, adding their 11th commitment of that cycle. Uh, this time it comes in the form of a Garden State pickup, and it's Michael Troutman uh, out of uh, DePaul Catholic in Wayne, New Jersey. He's a player that Brian Doan had submitted a crystal ball pick in uh, just a, a, about a 12 hours before he joined us for that Friday uh, morning podcast. So if you listen to our last episode, uh, it really went into detail on Troutman, who's may come off a bit undersized compared to some of these prospects that we've discussed on the offensive front listed at six foot two, 270 pounds. He's going to be a center for the Nittany lions. We'll talk about his fit there and, and long-term ramifications of this recruitment pickup, but Tyler on the surface, what do we make of his path to happy Valley and ultimately this decision, which came on Sunday via an announcement from Troutman. Y'all came together rather quickly. I remember catching up with him coming out of his junior day visit, which occurred on February 3rd. So it wasn't even that long ago since he last made it to campus for a visit. And he was telling me, you know, he was looking to check out some schools in the spring, was looking to get back to Penn State for another visit in the spring. But really when he sat down 
and he reflected on everything that's been going on with his recruitment. Just felt like Penn State was the right place for him. So it came together, you know, pretty quickly in that regard from his last visit to his commitment date, you know, almost exactly one week. So Mike Troutman on board in this 2025 class. And I, I think it's a really solid get for Penn State. You know, oftentimes we talk about Phil Troutman's type when it comes to offensive linemen, the guys he goes after on the trail, you know, the frames are typically a little bit bigger, but Troutman, you know, he's a technician, you know, he's nasty. He's tough. I mean, I saw him play in person during the fall. I know we're going to plan on getting into that a little bit more, but he's just one of those guys who he's never going to back down in the trenches. And when we're talking about guys who might be, you know, quote unquote undersized, I don't even know if undersized is really the right term to be talking about a guy who's 6'2", 270 with almost – 33 yeah. inch arms you know it's mm-hmm. just it's all it's all a relative conversation right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. tyler we're, you're not going to be walking across the street from that guy and just say you know what that guy is he's undersized <laughs> but yeah when we're talking about phil trout wine offensive exactly. line prospects he may he may be falling under that category exactly so he, he's a little bit against the grain from what you know penn state fans might be used to a trout going out and getting on the trail recently but it looks like he's going to project as a center all the way at the next level. And, you know, Dome pointed it out on Friday, and that was a great interview with him. I definitely encourage our listeners to go back and check that one out if you have a little bit of free time. If there's one position where you can, you know, maybe stick a guy who's a little bit smaller, he can maintain that nasty and be an impact player for you, center is probably it. And that's where Mike Trowan looks best at the next level. So I think it's a really solid first interior addition to the class for Penn State. Yeah, what did Brian say? Just give me five five eleven was the line at the Ohio center. State if Center. Yeah, the right guy. Yeah. Um. So you're getting plenty of that. Uh, you're getting more than five eleven here at, to be sure at six foot two. But it, it's it's an interesting thing when he is following in what I would consider to be a rare center prospect mm-hmm. um, in, in Cooper Cousins for a guy who to have center experience at the high school level at six foot six, three hundred twenty pounds, coming to your campus realistically looking like someone who compete in big 10 trenches and potentially doing that at the spot where you are starting every single play offensively with the ball in your hands. I mean, this is not a, a let's just face it. Center's different. We're talking about a lot of different variables here that no we doubt. just can't get into at most positions outside of quarterback because of what you need to have in terms of context, not just for what your assignment is on a given play, but for what those around you are needing to be accountable on given plays. And so They've got a really good situation with Nick Dawkins, who's a fifth-year senior uh, in terms of a guy who was able to accrue some snaps this year. Uh, they've got a guy who is a built-in leader. I mean, Nick Dawkins is is ready to ascend to a captaincy uh, this year, especially if he is going to be a starter at center. And then they've got a really tough physical beast in Vega Ioana, who I think everyone in that building thinks will be a, a considerable NFL draft pick one day. It's just a matter of where he's going to end up playing on Penn State's offensive line and how many starts he racks up in different spots. But, you know, he, he started a few, uh, five games at left guard. He was involved at right guard at times. And then we know that he's been a factor on the practice field at center. We saw him snapping on the field down in Atlanta just that recently. So there's kind of the lay of the land at center. And, and we should note, guards to get involved there you know there's all sorts of stuff where, where you know guys may not come to campus and say he's got any center experience but by the time they've gone through three or four years on campus because of phil troutwine you know taxing them on the practice field with center reps there's more seasoning than you may realize with some of these guys but tyler this is obviously a spot and when you look at the size you don't project as an immediate impact contributor and quite frankly we typically don't do that on the offensive line at all we're, we're typically very cautious of that and you know, this kind of falls in with Owen Alcine, who's somebody who is a six foot eight, six foot seven and a half prospect. And for different reasons, we're saying 
don't count on him in year one. You know, Troutman's going to enter a situation we'd imagine that you shouldn't really need to count on this guy to step up and play year one. And, and you kind of say interior lineman, likely a redshirt when he gets to campus in that first season. That's why Cooper Ru- Cousins is so rare. Mm-hmm. You know, me and you sit here time and time again talking about the potential for him to compete for playing time, a spot on the two deep, maybe even a starting spot early in his career. And that's just not a conversation that occurs all that often, making that jump from high school ball to playing on the interior of a Big Ten offensive line. It's a tough deal. You know, it's definitely not something that is easy to master. And Cousins, he's rare in that regard. Troutman probably fits more of a, you know, typical timeline, I would say. The good thing with Michael Troutman, in my opinion, is, you know, looking at him, getting eyes on him in person, he's pushing around 275 on the scale now. I do think he has a frame that can carry that good weight that is needed to hold up on the interior of a Big Ten offensive line for Penn State. So I think that's a plus. You know, I mentioned the reach early on. It's pretty good for a guy who's, you know, 6'2", 270, 275, right? You know, that seems to be kind of the average for an interior offensive lineman. So measurably, you know, he might be a little bit shorter, but his measurables are pretty solid. And I think he's got the chance to really develop you know, physically, I think that's going to be a big part of where his career takes him. I think the physical development is going to be key. I think he's in a good spot to add, you know, that good weight under Chuck Losey. And I think that he's going to be able to come along quite nicely for Penn State. Because he already has a pretty long, or pretty, not long, excuse me, pretty strong lower half. That's something that really aids him when he's blocking. I mean, you know, when I saw him, you really just see he has that lower body strength that allows him to play at the appropriate pad level, low center of gravity, really just drives bigger interior defensive linemen back off the ball. And that's going to be something that he's going to have to do throughout his career. And it's something that he's already shown at the high school level. And he's shown it on the camp circuit as well. You know, when he participated in that mini camp that the staff hosted before the last batch barbecue in late July, he had his moments winning some reps against some of Penn State's 2024 commits who are now signees. And those guys are bigger. So I just think, again, I feel like this is just really one of those gets that it's not going to generate a whole lot of buzz but it's a really solid get in a couple years down the road we might be looking at Michael Troutman as a guy who's just a really glue guy piece of this offensive line situation and rotation I I just think the way that that he's going to come to campus with the experience and and I think the opportunity to to also develop a bit when he gets to campus not get thrust into a role I mean this looks like a guy who could come out the back end as a multi-year starter Mm -hmm. at a position of real importance I know center isn't always the sexiest pick we want to focus on the offensive line who's in the perimeter who's the guy you know matching up against the other team's elite edge rusher but if it falls off the tracks for you at center the rest of the plan falls off the tracks for you and Penn State's been in a good spot of late with Juice Krogs and and his development in that role becoming a second round pick and what you got out of Hunter Norzad here moving from guard to center and he's a guy who was playing tackle at the Ivy League Uh, he was a second team all-conference center in his first year at the position with Penn State this year now moving on to the NFL so they've got some really good play out of that spot under Phil Troutwine they're going to continue that forward they've got a few compelling options and then looking long term now Troutman adds to that category and Tyler looking at his offer sheet real regional flavor to this point mid-Atlantic Northeast Boston College Duke Michigan State Pittsburgh Rutgers, Syracuse, uh, Texas A&M also offered from outside the region. Uh, but Penn State felt like a, a, a priority co- kind of component of this uh, 
recruitment for a while, you and I have mentioned a bunch of different interior offensive linemen, whether it's in the state of Pennsylvania or just beyond. It seems to be quite a number to uh, to consider here within the, the bordering states. And, and we've, we've kind of had that dialogue. What do you think about the fit here at this moment in time for this offensive line class? It's one that has Owen Alessine as a tackle. And as we discussed with Brian Doan, Brady O'Hara right now, a jumbo athlete, probably trending towards an offensive tackle role at the college level. Yeah, you know, that's a good point because, you know, sometimes you get the question of why is Penn State moving on this guy so early? You know, because that's just, you know, most of the time at this point in the cycle, you're really zoned in on the elite elite guys in the class. But this is, I think this is a good time to take Mike Trout. And it all comes back to the evaluation, right? Phil Trout time and time again has shown, you know, the ability to go out and kind of get ahead of the curve on some other programs when it comes to evaluating offensive line prospects, really identifying guys before a lot of other programs. So if he feels good about, you know, the opportunity to add trauma into this room right now at this juncture, here we are on February 12th, the day after the Super Bowl, it's the right time. If that's how good he feels about his ability. And I, again, I completely understand the decision to move on trial because really, you know, his, his recruitment was very regional. I think that Rutgers was in really good with him. You know, in-state option, he'd been around there a bunch. Illinois was starting to get more and more involved. Troutman told me that was a team and that was a program that he wanted to get out and check out during the spring. Obviously, his recruitment winds up not making it to the spring. But visited Penn State four times after the Nittany Lions offered back in May. You know, I mentioned the Lash Bash experience. He made it to campus for a couple games. He was in town for the season opener against West Virginia. That was one that really, I think, opened his eyes to what Penn State is. I think if you go back and read some of the feedback from him from that visit, he got a better feeling, not just for the atmosphere inside Beaver Stadium, which we always talk about coming out of game day visits, but really just for him, it was being around the stadium, you know, seeing the fans, interacting with the fans in some cases. It just felt like that family kind of vibe, and he got the feeling that everyone was really locked in and wanted the best for Penn State. And that was something that he really took away from that visit. Then he makes it back to town for the Michigan game in November. That was another visit that wound up going well. And then, you know, we touched on it earlier. He comes back for the junior day visit. It's another opportunity for him to get close to Phil Flower and the rest of the staff, learn a little bit more about the direction of the offense and Andy Kotelnicki's scheme. So everything, I think, timeline-wise, came together at a pretty solid pace for Penn State. You know, this isn't one of those recruitments where – Penn State offers, then a month or two later, he's on board. You know, Trotman's been a guy on the board for Penn State for an extended period of time now. And we got a lot to learn about the offensive line group moving ahead, but but certainly starting to pick up steam here in recent weeks with a couple additions here, one interior, one on the perimeter. Uh, and then we got the initial rankings and ratings assessment from 24-7 Sports quickly after this commitment uh, for Troutman. He is the number 30 interior offensive lineman for the 2025 cycle, number 17 player in the state of New Jersey. He's got an 87 rating, which places him in three-star territory and Tyler you have uh the opportunity you've, you've referenced it here during our conversation already but to see him in some live game action during his junior season um outside of the measurables which you've done a good job of, of kind of projecting forward and what they might mean for his college football future and we talked about the position aspect when you saw him from pre-games through post-game what were some descriptors of what you witnessed and, and what did you learn about him that day when you watched him actually go toe-to-toe -to -toe with an opposing team you know, really tough kid, never going to shy away from any sort of contact, you know, finishes all of his blocks. You know, the thing with him is right now at DePaul, he has played a lot of guard throughout his career. So we saw a lot of him as a run blocker. I think he checked out in that regard for sure. And the big thing, I think, you know, projection-wise moving forward 
with Troutman. And, you know, you could see some of it that day during that game. He really does take a hold and lead that offensive line group. You know, that first half of that game for DePaul, it um, they came out of the gate. They were hot. You know, they, they struck early against a good Bishop McDevitt team. Bishop McDevitt wound up going on to win. But Troutman, he just really kept, you know, he was very vocal coming out of the locker room at halftime, you know, just maintaining that sense of urgency, talking to his teammates, saying, hey, we're not done here. We still got work to do in the second half. So, And that's something that a lot of people at DePaul really like about him. He's a true leader, and his football IQ has been praised by a lot of people who are familiar with his game. And I think that's a big deal moving forward because he's going to be at the head of Penn State's offensive line if he's playing center. You know, he's going to have to command that unit when he's on the field. Like you said earlier, you know, his balls and the balls in his hands first. He's got to make the checks and the calls at the line of scrimmage. And I think he's equipped to do that. It's not something that he's done a whole lot of quite yet. You know, like you said, Cooper Cousins, he got a little bit more exposure to center at this point in his high school career. Troutman is playing primarily guard for DePaul, but it won't be that difficult of a transition for him over to center full-time when he does make that jump. We've seen so many interior guys make that slide over to center full-time and really be able to, you know, equip themselves well in the role and everything that comes along with it because it's not just a physical aspect of playing center. you got to have that mental aspect of it. And, you know, for the fact that I say I could say I've already seen it with Troutman as him playing guard, I think that's really encouraging moving forward. Yeah, we saw Juice Scruggs initially break through with guard work, ends up being a starting center. Hunter Norzad breaks through with guard works, ends up being a starter center. I think we saw Michael Mene take a similar path uh, during his 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 journey here at Penn State prior to those guys. Um, so, yeah, it, it's something that you, that you do see uh, often at this level and, and certainly at the high school level. Uh, with Troutman, uh, the 11th guy on board in this class, Tyler, six of them on offense, uh, five of them on defense. And, and you did a really good breakdown uh, for our VIP subscribers recently on the offensive side of things. Uh, let's talk about both sides of the ball, though, because when we look ahead here and talk about what happens next, um, there's, there's plenty of room in the end, and there's going to be plenty of room for a while, but we're also entering a chapter where guys have now made the rounds for junior day visits. They're getting ready to, to go out and try to show showcase their skills in the spring camp circuit. And, and by the way, Troutman, a great opportunity for him should be to get back here to Happy Valley. And I would guess they're going to have him snapping the ball a bunch and dealing with defenders off the snap. And so those are things we'll get to see come camp circuit time. But this is an interesting period for the 2025 class, Tyler, because you've got some guys who are clearly reaching the finish line for themselves and saying, let's put it away. Let's focus on uh, on one team moving forward. And you've got other guys who maybe want to check the pulse of where their recruitment could head. Because you go out there, you put on a couple good sh uh, you know, showcase setting camp situations. All of a sudden, you've got schools reaching out to you from different regions that weren't in contact before. So as we go to this period, what do you feel about this class getting much bigger? I asked that you had a few questions or a few a few episodes ago. All of a sudden, we went from eight to eleven in a hurry. Do you anticipate another bump coming for for this number, or do you think we're going to start to settle in? I think it's possible. Yeah, that's kind of the same answer I gave you the last time. You kind of have to play it on a case by case basis. You also have to take into account there are guys who you know. Guys who were originally profiled as, oh, I'm going to take this a little bit longer. I'm going to go through the spring. I'm going to go through my official visits. You know, sometimes they sit down and they're like, I just want to get this done. I feel good at X place and I'm going to commit there. And we saw that kind of come together with Mike Troutman, a guy who was intent on taking his spring visits 
And now he's part of Penn State's 2025 recruiting class. So I think it's definitely possible that you could see some guys who, you know, when they kind of reflect on what they experienced making visits during the winter, you know, maybe they sit down and say, hey, look, Penn State really is the place for me. Why prolong the inevitable? Let's get this done and let's, you know, move forward as a Penn State commit as opposed to an uncommitted recruit. You know, maybe a guy like Matt Zollers, you know, the top 24-7 in-state quarterback, maybe that's a guy who goes a little bit earlier than, you know, originally expected. You know, Penn State has done really good work with him. He's just kind of one of those names who jumps as like, you know, one of those potential guys who can really change their timeline and go a little bit earlier. But again, it's kind of a case-by-case thing because there are so many guys now who want to take advantage of the new official visit rules where you can go out and make all these visits and not have to worry about that five-school limit on your visits. There are a bunch of guys who really want to dive into all their options as much as they possibly can before coming to a decision. Then you have guys who just kind of want to be done with recruiting and get back to focusing on ball training, getting ready for their respective senior seasons. So I definitely do think it's possible that we see another bump ahead of maybe not necessarily spring practice. That's a little bit more of a narrow window timeline-wise. But, you know, maybe before official visit season. And I'll tell you this, this 2025 recruiting class, definitely in a lot different spot than the 2024 recruiting class regarding numbers. You know, it was it was a significantly smaller class at this time last year. You had some guys, more and more guys starting to get on board. But remember how long Cooper Cousins spent alone in that 2024 recruiting class. It's definitely, it's not crowded, but we're approaching a dozen now, which yeah. is, we're in, you know, almost the middle of February. So Penn State's done a pretty good job in the 2025 trail so far. Still plenty of room to add. Maybe we see some of that come together sooner rather than later with certain guys. You mentioned uh, that, that that peer push maybe that, that can start to swell a little bit as the class gets bigger. You've got guys it, yeah. who keep coming back to campus um, and, and there will be spring practice visits that start to, to you know get into our uh, focus and then those could start to impact some recruitment. So we'll keep tabs. You mentioned Zollers, the in-state quarterback. We've mentioned him several times here in recent weeks, uh, getting a chance to expand his horizons a little bit. He's now narrowed down to a, uh, I don't know if it's a final four or four favorites, Tyler Calvaruso, but no surprise. Penn State is on that list. In your mind, going through who else is on that list, what is the next step for Penn State? Is it just making sure you're getting him back this spring, or do you think this is a situation where Penn State would like to close the book, get a second quarterback on board, and have Zollers be maybe a Pied Piper of sorts when you get an in-state quarterback commit who can start to generate some excitement, help nudge some other guys towards joining your class? That imagine you, if you're sensing that you can get to that finish line sooner rather than later, you want to do everything within your power to get Zollers there. Oh, yeah. Penn State definitely wants to get this one done. There's no doubt about it. He is the priority for Andy Kotelnicki when it comes to quarterback recruiting right now. And for good reason. I mean, he kind of fits what Kotelnicki is trying to do really, really well. You know, when you look at his skill set, his arm talent, his athleticism and mobility, which is an underrated aspect of his game, considering his arm talent is the main talking point. But Matt Zollers can move. He shows it on the basketball court. The athleticism is where it needs to be. Penn State, that's definitely one that he wants to get done. And if it could get it done sooner rather than later, that'd be a huge boost for that 25 recruiting class. You know, I mentioned it's definitely possible that Zollers could decide to go earlier, but he has talked so many times about taking his spring visits and then kind of going from there. You know, getting on cam- all these campuses, it's Penn State, 
It's Georgia. It's Pitt. It's Missouri. Missouri being, I don't want to say surprise inclusion because he did make it to Missouri before the beginning of the dead period for a visit, but they're kind of newer to the picture compared to the Penn State, Georgia, Pitt. Even Georgia's a little bit newer. You know, Mike Bobo, the offensive coordinator down in Athens, did not issue that offer until relatively recently. Those two have developed a pretty good relationship over time. So while I do feel good about where Penn State is at with Matt Zollers, I definitely think Georgia is a school to watch. And I think he is kind of skyrocketed of Georgia's quarterback board, it seems. So that's probably an interesting element to keep an eye on with Zollers moving forward. But I really think even before Andrew Colton Lickie got to town, I think Penn State has been pushing all the right buttons with Zollers. You know, he was really appreciative of the staff jumping in with an offer, obviously. He was very appreciative of the process that went into that offer, you know. That Penn State has seen him camp a couple of times prior to offering, you know, he was appreciative of the in-depth, you know, evaluation from the staff and really everything that has gone into his recruitment from Penn State side. It's not just Cole and Nicky that he has a good relationship with. It's Danny O'Brien, who is essentially your de facto quarterbacks coach. He's going to play a huge role in the development of every passer that steps foot on Penn State's campus for as long as he is in town. He has a good relationship with Zollers. Zollers likes James Franklin. Zollers' family likes James Franklin. So there's a lot going for Penn State in this recruitment. I I feel good right now about where Penn State has placed itself, but I think Georgia is a huge factor. I'm very interested to see what comes about with Missouri being in that Final Four. I think that a lot of drink, which is program, might be a little bit of a wild card. They're coming off a really good season. It's a quarterback-friendly offense, so keep an eye on the Tigers, too. Let's get to a couple other offensive names because Zollers is, is clearly going to be, you know, at, when we talk about offensive targets and, and who might be next and where are they looking, get used to hearing about Zollers until he makes yeah. a decision <laughs> one way or the other about what's next for him. And he's a guy that we all really liked and, and the Nittany Lions clearly liked on the uh, seven-on-seven uh, event that took place here on campus last June. And now you think about him and you just wonder, you know, are there some other Power Five power players out there circling around saying, hey, want to get down here and throw the ball in front of our staff and, and maybe you go home with an offer? You know, I just wondered if there might be some, some mystery guests that pop up in this recruitment if it goes a little bit longer into the spring when the evaluation period starts to pop up again. But staying on the offensive side of things, let, let's stick in New Jersey where Penn State just picked up the commitment from Troutman and discuss another offensive lineman, Adiparamis Catholic. We've discussed him a few times, Malachi Goodman. Not lacking for size, this one, six foot five, 315 pounds, um, 20 plus offers. And, and he's someone that you have routinely brought to the forefront in our discussions for the 2025 offensive line board. Yeah, he definitely doesn't go against the grain when it comes to Phil Troutwin's type. I could, I could definitely tell you that. He, uh, he checks out physically what, what Phil likes out of his tackles. And yeah, there's a reason he's at the forefront of our conversations. You know, he has kind of emerged to become. Penn State's really not just their top tackle target at this point in the cycle, but you know maybe even their top overall offensive line target at this point in the cycle. That's how high this Penn State staff is on Malachi Goodman. You know, I, I've said it on here that I think he's one of the best tackles in the region. I think the offer sheet reflects that. I think his junior year film reflects that. He's just got that athleticism and agility that Penn State likes out of its tackles, and that has drawn the interest of so many high-level programs around the country. I think Penn State has positioned itself pretty well here early on. It, it, again, it, this is probably going to be one of those more extended recruitments. At least that's kind of my gut feeling right now here in February because I think there's still a lot that he wants to and needs to see. You know, Ohio State jumped into his recruitment with an offer. 
not right before the beginning of the dead period, but, you know, on the back half of January. So Columbus is a place that he potentially, you know, will get for a visit. Georgia's involved. And I touched on it last time. We talked about Goodman. You know, Paramus Catholic has sent players to Georgia before. So, you know, there's some at least some familiarity there. And he's got so much talent. It's just one of those guys who can really just – be a future franchise tackle for you if you reel him in. I definitely think he has NFL draft potential. The athleticism, the agility, the footwork. You know, he's just come along so well in his development throughout his high school career. Paramus Catholic has itself a good one. Penn State wants to get Goodman on board. Might take a little bit as he sorts through all of his options. But, you know, definitely expect him back on campus at some point in the near future because it has been made abundantly clear to him how much he is wanted in state college and Penn State is going to prioritize him moving forward. There is no doubt about that. He will be a priority for Phil Trotwin and the staff until he goes off the board, whether it be to Penn State or somewhere else. Three of Penn State's 11 commitments in this cycle are from New Jersey high schools. The parochial scene, as we always discuss, is pretty robust there. We had a, a, a DePaul Catholic mention with the commitment. We just discussed uh, Paramus Catholic. Let's go over to Bergen Catholic now. And that's where you find Quincy Porter, six foot three, 190 pounds as a high school junior. And you look at this offer sheet and, and then you look at the, all, uh, the, uh, the ratings and all that. And you think, okay, this is a high level receiver prospect. He's got. 35 plus offers. He is a top 50 overall recruit, top 10 wide receiver in the nation, considered New Jersey's top player of the 2025 cycle. We're looking for some news at wide receiver and uh, Quincy Porter, man. I understand the aiming high aspect here, but uh, Penn State, I'd imagine, has its work cut out to make Quincy Porter turn into reality for themselves. You know, this is the kind of prospect Penn State needs to be in on at wide receiver when it comes to turning that room around and, you know, really just stockpiling talent. So Quincy Porter being the top name on that wide receiver board checks out in more ways than one. You know, he not only is he in your recruiting footprint, you know, as a guy who's from New Jersey, talent wise, he's an elite wide receiver prospect, another player where I've had the chance to see in person. And, you know, I've seen a lot of solid players here in Jersey. Quincy Porter might be the best that I've gotten the chance to get out and see recently. I mean, he just does everything so well at wide receiver and wherever he lands, he's I, I just feel like he has big time receiver potential Penn state. If Penn state wants to be the place that he lands, you know, they're going to have to get him to camp, back to campus. That's the first step here. Now, he visited last off season for a junior day. Hasn't been back since was looking to visit for the whiteout against Iowa. You know, I, I actually talked to him about it the night before when I saw Bergen Catholic play and he was pretty excited about the visit. He wanted to, you know, be part of that atmosphere in person. Uh, the weather that day wasn't the greatest. He winds up not making the trip and, you know, hasn't really, it really hasn't been an indication that of when he's going to be back, but there's no doubt that he is Penn State's top wide receiver target and a guy, the staff and Marcus Higgins is going to push really, really hard to land. Is it going to be tough? It's definitely going to be a difficult pull. I mean, we're talking about a top 50 prospect in the nation, probably the best receiver in the Northeast, in my opinion, you know, I, he's, he's a stud. There's no doubt about it. And Penn State, it definitely has its work cut out for him. But, you know, you get him back to town, you get him there for a good visit. Who knows where things go from that point on? Probably the, the, the most highly prized receiver prospect I can remember out of New Jersey in some time. Been a while. Uh, I mean, it, I, I don't know if it goes all the way back to Justin Shorter, which is I know is a name that makes people shaking their boots around here because of how it turned <laughs> out with his process. But uh, this is a big-time talent. 
uh, and a guy that, as you said, Penn State is prioritizing uh, as it puts together that 2025 wide receiver board at receiver. Um, you have a couple names here written down at, 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 at Defender. I wanted to address the safety position first because the names that keep popping up every time I say, okay, who's, who are we looking at next or who's been visiting, who's been impressed? Kano Winston out of Gonzaga in D.C. and then Jadon Blair out of Mount Tabor in North Carolina. Blair put out his planned itinerary for official visits. We, we addressed that last episode a bit. Uh, it's going to cap off with Penn State being the final official visit as of now on that schedule. But Winston is the name that you put here as a name to know moving forward and we're scouring for commitments. What are you hearing on his recruitment process? And, and is there a sense that he may be ready to wrap things up before a guy like Jadon Blair? Yeah, Jadon Blair is definitely, you know, we talk about that name to know category. He's definitely one too. I just feel like we've talked him into the ground recently <laughs> in terms of intel. So let's focus on Winston today because we haven't done a deep dive there in a little bit. I do think that he could go earlier than Blair. Obviously with Blair being fully intent on taking those official visits and him straight up saying that those official visits and how they play are going to be a huge part of his final decision-making process. Winston, you know, we haven't really established that hard of a timeline. So that kind of leaves the door open for the potential, you know, maybe he does pop somewhere early. If he were to go early, Penn State seems to be in a pretty good spot with him. It comes back to everything we've kind of laid out throughout his recruitment. You've got the familiarity with his cousin KJ on board in the secondary. You've got the trust in Anthony Poindexter, given the relationship that those two have built over an extended period of time. Canelo Winston has been to Penn State for a bunch of visits, more than any other program involved in his recruitment. So that's a plus with any lines. He's gotten a ton of exposure to the staff. The relationships there have come along really well. I always bring up Ohio State with Winston now because I do want to see what comes of a newer relationship in his recruitment. I mean, he's an elite prospect. He's in five-star range. So when it comes to his next home, he is pretty much going to have his pick. Right. So it's going to come down to relationships and where he feels most comfortable. I feel like Penn State is probably in the best spot in that regard right now, but there could easily still be a very long way to go. You know, I mentioned Ohio State. He's been to North Carolina for a visit. Seems like he likes the Tar Heels to some degree. So we're going to just wait and see until we can kind of lock down what exactly is going on with him timeline wise, if there is anything going on with him timeline wise, depending on what he decides he wants to do. But you know, he is one of those guys who we talk about. We always go position by position and talk about who's the top target at this position, who's the top target at that position. When you take a step back and you look at the overall makeup of the board, Canelo Winston's one of those names who's in the upper echelon of overall wants in the class. Very good information there. And I know Winston's been a guy you've gone back to time and time again. I'd imagine the continued success of his cousin, KJ, wouldn't hurt. Yeah. And, and as we've just, we, we were talking about this before he stepped up as a starter last year, KJ Winston was among the most buzzed about members of that 2023 roster. You started to see why as he strung those starts together. I think he's somebody that we'll be talking about in a very different light again come next winter. KJ Winston, to me, is, is really on that top five list of who could break out and become you know big-time Big Ten stars or maybe national names 
from this Nittany Lions roster, KJ Winston, to me, really does stand out with his younger cousin near the top of that recruiting board. That's not terrible timing for the Nittany Lions staff. One other name you had here on, on names to know, uh, we're going to go well well beyond the Penn State recruiting footprint yes. here and go down to Fort Bend Christian Academy, which is where you'll find edge rusher Max Granville. I know he's a guy that's gotten interest as, a, as an edge rusher, as a linebacker prospect. There's probably some, some correlation to be made uh, between him and, and a guy like Chop Robinson and where he was coming out of high school as a five-star recruit. He is the number 20 linebacker nationally, one of the top 25 players in the state of Texas and number 158 overall in our rankings. So what's a guy from Fort Bend Christian Academy doing on this list, Tyler? You know what it has to do with? Some of it has to do with the fact that, well, first of which, Max Granville is a hell of a talent. I think he's a really good player. <laughs> I mean, you go put on his film. I think that it doesn't take a genius to figure that one out. The second part of that is, you know, Northeast, it's not great in terms of edge rusher talent in this 2025 cycle. There are plenty of good ones out there, no doubt about it. But, you know, Penn State, it's a pretty high bar when it comes to its recruiting and what it wants to go out and accomplish on the trail. So much of the conversation has centered around Ari Watford, you know, the Virginia native who is an elite prospect. But he's off the board to Clemson now. And, you know, that it's a big deal, obviously, because, you know, you didn't land a really, really good player that you had high on your board. But beyond him in the region, there's just not a ton there. So guess what? Deion Barnes is expanding he's the footprint. He's going out to Texas. And here we are talking about Max Granville, who received a couple of visits from the Penn State staff during that live period. You know, with the new rules with these coaches and be able to go to the high schools and speak directly with high school juniors now and interact with them, you're allowed to make two visits max during the live period. So Penn State took full advantage of that. Now, where do things go? With Granville from here, the first step is going to be getting him to campus for a visit. That kind of goes without saying, but it seems like he has been open and receptive to doing so. It kind of reminds me of the Nigel Smith recruitment from the 2024 cycle. You know, it didn't wind up working in Penn State's favor with him committing to Oklahoma and ultimately signing with the Sooners. But when you get a guy to campus who's not from your recruiting footprint and you make a really good impression, you establish yourself as a player. In his recruitment, if Penn State fans remember with Nigel Smith, the Nittany Lions were in a really good spot there to you know make that a fight. I think that kind of says something because that was one with just the volume of Midwest programs, elite Midwest programs involved in his recruitment. He was giving Penn State a very, very long look. And when he took that official visit last June, it went really well and gave him reason to think, you know, Penn State could be a place for him. I think the staff is hoping for a similar outcome if and when it gets Granville to campus. And this time we would like to be able to close because he's an elite edge rusher prospect, one of the tops on the board for Deion Barnes right now. But again, let's see when he gets to town. Let's see how things play out when he gets to town. It's nice that he's the top of the board target and Penn State's doing well. But how does he react when he makes it to state college and takes everything in? That'll be the telling sign of where this recruitment goes. But Penn State definitely wants to add Max Granville to his 2025 recruiting class. Nigel Smith was a top 200 defensive lineman last cycle, as Tyler laid out there, and, and, and Penn State got its swing, was not able to end up bringing it home. But go back a few cycles, and, and you're thinking, Fort Bend, why does that maybe sound familiar? Parker Washington, of course, yep. uh, multi-year starter for the Denny Lions now, a rookie with the Jacksonville Jaguars, going to year two in the NFL actually now, uh, former Fort Bend Travis standout at the high school level. Uh, Tyler, we, we really appreciate the perspective as we continue to, to learn more about this growing 2025 20, class and try to figure out 
who might pop up next. I guess we should finish with some developments in Philadelphia at a powerhouse program in St. Joe's. A couple names that we have talked about quite a bit at linebacker on the 2025 board have made some moves that are going to trend away from Happy Valley. Can you just talk us through what decisions were made and, and just where that might leave the Nittany Lions at the linebacker spot in 2025? Yeah, Cam Smith goes off the board to Duke and Anthony Saka, the legacy prospect we've talked about so many times here on this podcast, decides to narrow his list down. Penn State doesn't make the cut. I think, you know, there's been a lot of reaction to those two moves, but the fact of the matter is Penn State likes what it has in its, you know, two linebackers of, you know, Alex Tash, or Tash excuse me, and um, DJ McClary, the top 24-7 backer from Jersey. Penn State really likes those two guys. They could do – I think they could do a bunch of different things in Penn State's defense. You know, we're talking about box backers versus guys who play a little bit more on the outside and cover and just use their athleticism. I think both of those guys have that, and that's what Penn State likes out of its linebackers. Then you got Deshaun Burnett. You know, we're still waiting to see – we're going to have to wait and see – what winds up happening with him development-wise physically. You know, does he become more of that Zariah Fisher-type guy who moves down to defensive end? Does he stick at linebacker and do some of the things that he has showcased on tape throughout his high school career? So Penn State feels good about what it has with those three. And, you know, Smith decides to reunite with Manny Diaz and Gabe Infante at Duke. Saka's going a different direction in his recruitment. Penn State feels good about where it's at You know, when it comes to his defensive recruiting. So just one of those developments where it kind of is what it is, and we go from here. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the perspective from Tyler Calvaruso. You can catch all of his content over at lines247.com, our VIP subscribers. Uh, good time to do it because we are going to be getting ready for a really busy run during the uh, open period that awaits with spring ball. So the next three weeks or so, a lot of plans being made across the country. The travel is being set. You're seeing top lists come out and maybe some more crystal ball picks to be logged. We'll see as that goes forward. But Tyler, we'll catch up with you real soon here on the podcast. Thanks as always for hopping on with us. Thanks for having me back, man. All right, good stuff from Tyler Calvaruso. Before him, we heard from Devon Elise, member of this Penn State football program for year number six at the defensive tackle spot. Thank you to him for his time. We look forward to connecting with him uh, more as this year goes on on campus. We're going to have a chance to connect with several Nittany Lions on Tuesday out in Beaver Stadium. We encourage you to follow our coverage at lions247.com. Not only will we hear from the head coach of the program, James Franklin, but we'll hear from a bunch of young nucleus components of this program. The class of 2023, step on up and say hello. We're going to get a few waves of year two Penn State football players available to us in the media uh, section of Beaver Stadium. Uh, and the result will be hopefully a lot of really fresh feedback for you at lines247.com. And when we come back for another episode later this week, uh, we'll go over some of the highlights and takeaways uh, from those conversations. And not only will we get Franklin, but we're going to get new special teams coordinator Justin Lustig. And there are some roles on that special teams uh, framework that need to be filled due to some key vacancies. So a lot to dive into, I think, on our next episode. We'll have some fresh material to go through as well. And, and if the recruiting trail gives us more news to break through, we will do that. want to remind you one more time, if you missed our last episode, which dropped on Friday, Brian Doan, National Recruiting Analyst from 24-7 Sports, came on board to really break down a lot of this development for the 2025 class and set the stage for a few more storylines as they add players this continued cycle. For now, stepping aside, I am Tyler Donahue. We'll catch up with you real soon next time on the Lions 24-7 Podcast.